0: On this week's episode of Certified Forgotten, we had the best of intentions to have both Matt and myself talk about our history with horror, but it turns out Matt Donato's pretty fucking interesting. So this week is going to be just a Matt Donato show, and next week we're going to talk a little bit about me, this guy, two thumbs. Enjoy the episode. and welcome to this week's episode of Certified Forgotten. Uh, It is November 9th. It is post-election. We've been screaming gloom and doom for months and months and months, and uh, we're still here. So congratulations to us. Um, And, you know, you are listening to Certified Forgotten. We are the only horror podcast that reviews films with five or less reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It is our way of saying what is out there that you have forgotten, what deserves to be rediscovered, and what deserves to be part of the new canon. I am joined, as always, by my buddy, my co-host, the person who helps me make sense of this world and the films that are in it, Matthew Donato. How are you doing, bud?
1: I am horrified for you because I don't know what's in this world and the movies within it, so I hope you're not taking my uh, lead here.
0: I said help make sense. I didn't say that you made sense. There's a whole gray uh-huh. area there that you're okay
1: OK, so basically it's like do as I say, not as I do. One of those one of those situations.
0: Those that can't teach, teach Jim. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of a scenario.
1: Yeah. Those who can't create become critics, you know, the whole, Correct. The whole thing.
0: Correct. Yeah. We have no talent. So this is what we do for a living. And so every week on Certified Forgotten, we have an awesome guest. And this week we don't. We don't. We don't have a guest. You or know? or wait, or we have two, two amazing guests. Two Either amazing way. Guests. Yeah, so we had gotten a little bit of feedback from some of our listeners that we have spent a lot of time talking about other people's origin stories and how they came to the horror genre and what it's like to grow up a fan of the horror genre. And they lamented the fact that our own conversations about this stuff have been a bit more piecemeal, right? Like Donato and I will throw out topics and we'll throw out ideas and little snippets of of kind of how we came to be as horror fans. Um, But you never really get the whole thing in one concentrated episode the way that you do with our guests. So we thought that now, after Halloween, after a great month of publishing content at CertifiedForgotten.com, that we might we might take a breather. Uh, we might take a breather. We might build the bonds of our friendship and and just talk to us about us. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I specifically do want to call out, this was an idea from our Patreon supporter, Corey Maurer, and basically came to me one day on DM, floated the idea, and Corey was just said out loud, like, Yeah, I love getting to know like all these guests, but like I still don't know if I like know you guys well enough. And immediately, I was like, "That's a that's a valid point." So I came to Monagle with the idea, and Monagle was into it immediately. So the big thing is also to stress we couldn't not find a guest. Like we're gonna have plenty of guests coming in the near future, and it's gonna continue just as we did. The but this is more to yeah, this is more to kind of explore something on the on a little different path. So I I do appreciate the fact that we can take a step back and. I don't know. Hopefully you guys get an idea of number one, why we do this podcast. I know we talk about it a lot, but just to kind of get a little deeper and also know better know your mats.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Get to know your mat. Cause there's a lot of us and we all, we're all big fans of horror films for some reason. So if you get to, if you listen to this episode and you get to know us, then that's two more off the list. So where do we want to start this off then Donato? Uh, where, where let's, since I usually play sort of the MC and you get to be the color commentator, I say that I'm going to do that again here. And I'm going to say, so Donato, um, talk to me about your early days of horror. And I know you've said before on the show um, that you kind of grew up, that you were a bit of a scaredy cat for some kind of stuff that you had sort of a, your own like later in life transformation, like a lot of us, but before we get to those films, before we get and you're, I know you're going to talk about child's play before we get to child's play. What like what was your earliest scary memories? What were the things that frightened you or the media that frightened you when you were as little as you can remember?
1: We're going to have to go back a little bit here and we're really going to have to dig because to get to the point of where I get into horror and to make the point of... How big of a change, I guess, it was for me. Let's just dig all the hell way back and go with like little Donato, maybe middle school ish. Uh, but I mean, younger than that, I was never into any kind of media that was Halloween. Uh, my mom's favorite stories to tell are the ones where I was too afraid to leave the beach blanket because I hated the feel of sand and like immediately it was just fearful of things. And I would never go into the Party City Halloween specific aisle because I was so deathly afraid of all the masks. I had a huge aversion to anything scary and like growing up, I I can't tell a hundred percent if it was straight anxiety or fear or paranoia, what it was, but I spent a lot of my youth so anxious. And so I guess in my own head that I would always be in the nurse's office, like in school because I had this weird fixation. One of my anxieties, the deepest anxieties was, am I going to throw up? And I know that sounds so weird, but I had such anxiety that I would convince myself almost to the point that I was going to be sick every day just because I didn't know if I was going to be sick every day. Like Mm. that, that was me for a long time in my life. And I think that really leads kind of like into middle middle school. I mean, until then, I was definitely I had all those aversions. I refused to get anywhere near anything that was uncomfortable, scary or not safe in my mind.
0: No, no goosebumps for you as a kid?
1: Nope, absolutely not. No goosebumps. Like if I saw Slappy, that would honestly throw me into a little fit. Like I couldn't deal with that stuff. I I just avoided it. I had in my head how bad it could be. So I never, ever wanted to get close to it because I'm not going to say my mom scared me away from it herself. But I was growing up in a household that was very, I was an only child. I was, I guess I was protected in a way. And I was almost taught to fear things in a way that I didn't immediately get over. So I just immediately feared them without knowing how bad they could be. Uh, No goosebumps, none of that. Like, honestly, the biggest, scariest moments for me were like watching Jurassic Park too young as a kid. And the raptors scared the hell out of me. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I dropped this on this podcast, but I used to have like vivid recurring nightmares of the raptors just like hunting me through my own house that was an early scary memory uh i saw i forget what year it would have been but whenever independence day came out my dad let me go to the movie theater to, to see that and one of my biggest again at the time i was guess i was getting a little more adventurous but uh the one scene where everyone's favorite crazy doctor gets thrown against the uh glass, I guess. I don't know if it was plexiglass or whatever, but it's in the lab room. The alien takes over, takes over the crazy doctor, and you just have that horrific, monstrous image of tentacles and all that stuff. So that really threw me for a loop. And man, I think I avoided hard just, again, getting into that Chucky stuff. I was way too young, and I saw a commercial for, I'm going to say it, Seed of Chucky. It might not have even been Bride. It might have been that we now know is the goofiest. It's the most comical. It's not scary, but I was so goddamn young at the time that I would see the, I guess there were commercials and you just got to see Chuckie in full view. And I was like going into high school almost probably at that time. And I'm, when I say it paralyzed me, it paralyzed me to the core of hyperventilating and like flop sweats and like not normal shit. I had a lot of stuff I guess I was dealing with at the time. And it really just kind of like scared me away from horror so vividly and so deeply. Uh, and you know, I guess Bride of Chucky is the better example because I'd be at like a sleepover with my friends and it would be on the TV and I couldn't look at it. Like I had to literally look away and pretend like I was doing something else while they were all laughing at it. Cause I was just so in my own head about that stuff. So it didn't become a thing for me really until college, college is when I kind of broke out of my shell and, Um, also growing up, I had preppy friends. Uh, my friends were like the top, honestly, God, like they were the top, like 10% of our entire graduating class. So I had the smart friends, uh, and I wasn't totally like them as, as well. I wasn't in all the honors classes and things of that nature. And looking back on my years, uh, people that I hung around with for a lot of the time in my, I guess, growing up in my suburb. You, you find your friends and you find the people that are most like you in that little bubble. But I just re- never realized until I got out of that bubble and really like graduated college, even how different I was and horror was different to them. And I would get ridiculed for liking things that were so different. So I think that kind of kept me out of it a little bit. And then finally in college, i started finding my friends. I started finding the people that were like me and they were the ones that got me really into going to like every horror movie that premiered, uh, on that Thursday night, every big budget ticket, everything what we could do, they started indoctrinating me into horror and getting me more comfortable and like they knew how to do it right. And at the same time, I was also coming into my own finally as a person. And I realized that all the things I had been afraid of for so long had like robbed me of so many experiences. And horror was my one way to fully I guess, give myself to one of my fears and give myself to this thing that I've been fighting for so long. And I honestly did that through Child's Play. That was one of the big ways that I kind of said, all right, fuck this. I'm taking this by the horns. Like Chucky has been such a monster in my entire life. So like I had to get over that somehow. So at that point, I think I was able to binge, God, everything up until Cur- Maybe it was for Curse of Chucky. I think it was for the curse of Chucky Junket because that literally put me face to face with all this shit. And I realized what a jabroni I had been my entire life. And I realized, you know, all these things that horror could be and horror was and, you know, all the scariness that I had built in my head. And I realized I really needed to get a hold of that stuff because I was going to keep missing out on tremendous opportunities and events and lives and something as dumb as going on a roller coaster for the first time after I'd been so afraid of it. It's that same thing. I finally had that adrenaline. I finally like realized what I was missing. And yeah, so horror has filled a place in my life and it's been a thing that I conquered and continue to conquer and appreciate and go full force into because I don't know. I it's, it helped me find out who I was and everyone that I started in like becoming friends with in the horror community as well. Uh, so many people I could name that, really when I needed it the most. And when I like felt my most outcast, I know, I know it's like a cliche that horror people talk about and the community is so good in some aspects. And I'm not going to say it's all good. I'm going to say it has its negative sides as well, but the people that I did find and that I do trust, like I've never felt better about myself and I still attribute that to horror itself. So like, it's something I'll just never be able to give up. And I think that's everything
0: i can say right now well no because i'm going to treat you like a guest so i'm going to ask follow-up questions um which one of them is you know you have talked about this you've mentioned it like brief so briefly so in passing on the podcast and you've talked about it on social media if if people follow you on social media your dad is a cop your dad is a cop of some renown um who was known for cracking some pretty difficult and violent cases you know i know all parents, regardless of what they do for a living, want to keep their work life separate. And they want to make sure that their kids aren't exposed to whatever tensions happen during the workday. But do do you think that that impacted you at all as a kid? Do you think it changed how your parents, and you talk about your mother, maybe your mother in response to the stuff that your father had to deal with professionally? Do you think that it kind of, that that contributed to the way that you grew up or to, you know, maybe you kind of had a secondhand knowledge or like this vague understanding that there was bad stuff in the world that your dad was dealing with. Do you think not to play amateur psychologist here, but do you think that was kind of part and parcel of of maybe that tension and anxiety you felt as a kid?
1: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point because I'm going to say that my dad really kept it separate. My dad was a detective in New Jersey. And as Mr. Monagle said, I mean, There's a book written about a famous serial killer that he himself brought to justice and he would not let the case close. Uh, It was basically this terrible monster of a human being and he was a man who would prey on mostly, you know, he would try to find illegals and he would find a way to lure them in. He would be the best boyfriend. He would be the best everything. He would almost, I, I forget if he actually married a few, but his MO was it was so anti what killers usually do where they want to stay away from their subjects and targets where the serial killer brought them in and he made them comfortable and he made them basically love him. And then he would then commit his crime. So, you know, my dad was, he chased this guy for years and he chased him across honestly the country. He started out in his little Jersey town where he was able to get the case. It took him to New York. He is working with the FBI, things of that nature. And He followed him all the way to, I, God, I want to say it was Albuquerque, something crazy, but he basically went almost across the country to uh, actually get the arrest. And yeah, that that's, I found all these things out later. Like all the stories my dad has told me were from an age onward. When I was little growing up, when I was, you know, I knew what dad did, but it was never to the point where my mom would let those kind of details leak into my life. And like, especially, I think my dad was hyper vigilant about it too, because I don't remember any instance where I was ever traumatized or, you know, dad comes home and he's just telling a story that I shouldn't be hearing. Cause I, I don't remember that. I think maybe he bought, he he's a man who bottles things up. Shocking. Where do I get that from? But, uh, <laughs> he's not, you know, he's one of those, uh, hard skinned Italian men. And, He doesn't really have a lot of emotional moments outwardly. Uh, You know, obviously we've talked since and personally, and, you know, we we have a good relationship there. But yeah, I can't remember that being an influence at all. I think that might have been like, if anything, it drove my parents to make sure, again, the protectiveness. I I think that protection aspect, because my mom was a teacher and my dad was a cop and they were kind of like, I think it pushed them so far to one side to be like, we're just going to be like overly protective at certain po- moments.
0: But, uh, but no, no mine hunter. You looked at one batch of photos and now we got to worry about Donato becoming a child serial killer. No, no moments like that.
1: Never, never okay. any spilled pick photographs of terrible uh, crime scenes that little Donato stumbles upon. <laughs>
0: That would have been quite quite a fun origin story. Um, I I would have to practice my best. Like I had no idea voice for the pot for like when they do the documentary eventually. He seemed like such a normal guy.
1: The things that Donato has seen.
0: All right, so we were all the way to college. Uh, we have kind of we brought you up to the point where you overcame your fears, embraced Chucky, and you know you you had fallen in with a group of friends who had kind of normalized horror for you. But you know you were you were a business. Um, I don't want to say major. I don't know whether you say bachelor, business bachelor. Um, You were, you were headed down a path that was going to be pretty different. And from a lot of what you spend most of your free time doing. So when did like, talk to me about how you ended up writing a little bit and then writing a little bit more and then writing like your life depends on it.
1: So I went to Hofstra university at first because I wanted to be a music management major. Specifically, I did I've always had a draw to the more creative side of things, but also grew up in a household where my parents are still to this day realistic. They always wanted me to succeed, but their idea of success is a salary and all the things that they perceive as successful. You know, my dad is going to work till the day he dies. It's just how things go in his house. And that's how like almost you measure yourself in a way, Mm -hmm. not to, again, not to a detriment, but, Even when I said I wanted to be music management, uh, as I was going to school, my dad would have talks with me going like, well, listen, like, you know, the music industry, anything creative was like scary to him. So he basically, in a way, convinced me to become just a straight business management major. So that gave me the freedom to at least I can get any kind of business job and not have a big deal about it. And yeah, so as I was in college as a business student, I ended up rooming with somebody a above me from my hometown. Cause we were friends. We were buds in high school. We no longer are because he was a shitty roommate and my God a warning to everyone. Like you think, you know, someone, but then you live with them and be prepared. Sometimes that shit's different.
0: I, I will say, I, I will say real quick, that two of the best friends I have now are two of the college roommates. I had the biggest falling outs with then. So that stuff is subject to change. It took us a long time to reconnect and kind of like be like, Oh shit. Nope, it turns out turns out we shouldn't live together but we're actually pretty good friends. So
1: two of my best friends now were his best friends, but then I became better friends with them cuz they're like, "Oh, wait, this guy's way cooler." And
0: Oh yeah, you you took what you needed.
1: Yeah, I took what I needed. Yeah. But in any case, so he was a film student though, and Hofstra also has a tremendous film program. So from him, I will admit like he was the beginning of this whole culture of like being surrounded by film people and I would go hang out with him sometimes and get to know these other film students. And I was getting more interested with film as I was becoming more and more bored with my undergrad uh, business management degree. And it's what I ultimately ended up getting. But the biggest things I took away from my college experience were all the nights that I was able to explore cinema and start to really find a passionate understanding for movies just not being movies anymore. And I can still remember, You know, this is when Netflix DVDs came. And one of the first ones that struck me in a way that made me think about horror in a way that I'd never even been able to was uh, record, REC, however you say it, the Mm -hmm. Spanish found footage movie, which I'm sure I've mentioned on this podcast. I may even mention this anecdote, but that came in the mail. And at that moment, that night, that was that first spark of i am just blown away by a piece of media that is not just a piece of media i finally realized this whole thing outside american movie culture international you know what what you could do internationally with horror how different perspectives can make such a different film like everything exploded in that moment and that's when i like i guess my going off the deep end was that so i just immediately Everything I could find, like every little horror indie I could find. I started reading bloody every day religiously. I became that horror guy. And at the same kind of time, I hated writing too growing up. I, I was in honors English classes, but you forced me to write about something and I'm just going to shut down. I'm not, I don't respond well to being told to do something. <laughs> so if I do it on my own terms though, and yeah, I had this high school English teacher and he was also the film studies teacher in my high school. And I went to him to get my grade on the final day of whatever semester it was, whatever grade I was in. I think it was sophomore year, end of the year. And I go in and get my grade and I got a B minus, which to me is fine. Cause I read all your shitty books and I wrote all your stupid things. So like, cool. I got the B minus. I get to keep going in honors. And before I leave, he looks at me and he stops me. He just goes, you don't belong in honors English. You know that, right? And I was like, yeah. And I just walked away. Like, I I didn't know how to respond to that. I was like, yeah, you're right. And I just walked away still being like, huh. And, but like that stuck with me because here is the guy who was in charge of our film studies program in high school. And also, you know, was judging my creative writing to a degree. And he's telling me that I don't belong here. And then cut to a few years later, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she liked to journal and whatever. And I'm still in college at this point. And she used to get these journals for books and they were basically like how to be a film critic, but like how to be a book critic. And the journal had everything you could like, it had a rating system It had like, what you like about it? Dislike. And it made you train yourself to write about things you're reading and writing and all uh, reading and like watching and how to think critically about them. So she accidentally got a film version of it and she goes, do you want this? Like, I know you're getting more into like movies, like. Do you want to just like fart around with this and maybe doodle in it, see what happens? I kind of went like, Yeah, sure, that's fine. And for whatever reason, it clicked. I started with, I forget, I'd probably be embarrassed, whatever my first entry is in those. I have them here. They're actually like close to me. I could go look at them. But like the first entry was probably something dumb I watched on Netflix. But I started to write and I started to really kind of enjoy the process of. Recommending things to my friends. And I was really getting it to the point where I could watch all these independent horrors and these independent, like anything that wasn't mainstream. And I could go to a separate group of friends who weren't the ones introducing them to me. And I was the cool guy in a way, being like, oh man, have you guys seen this? So, you know, I, rem- I remember like bringing Tokyo Gore Police to them and blowing their minds, having just had my mind blown. So everything started to click in that moment. And I was just kind of doing my own little blog. I started it, of course, like any other film critic. I searched for a image to steal from like a website to use on my blog. And it took me to We Got This Covered. And I know that we don't like talking about We Got This Covered. And I I don't either at this point. But the truth of the matter is all these sites started somewhere. And at some point there were probably a lot of really good writers involved with them that helped them get to a certain level. And we got this covered, had just a submission page. Like, do you want to write for us? And and I put in for it. And basically they accepted me. I went through the process of being a news writer for just a little bit. I mean, it was all bullshit. Don't get me wrong, but I got involved at the right time where they were kind of ramping up their critical side and, I could take the ball and run with it in ways like I was on Rotten Tomatoes by 22. We got, we got the site accredited between all of our writers. Uh, We were doing some great stuff. And I know I still talk to those writers to this day because it pains me so deeply to know that at a point, the person who was running, we got this covered actually did want to give it to all of us and he just wanted to manage it and like, let us kind of drive the content and do things the right way. And I mean, yeah, then he figured out how easy it was to do things the wrong way. And now that's the we got this covered that you know, and that's why none of us are there anymore. But for just such a short time, uh, I was able to basically build my life around we got this covered, and it got me into places I needed to be. And so did my business degree, because lo and behold, I still have had the same kind of job out of college since then. And you know, sorry, not the same industry. So not the same job I've been, I've been progressing there as well. I'm pretty successful in certain places. So it's like, yeah, I just kind of built up uh, both of my careers. You know, I moved to New York city the minute I could for the job. And because we got this covered, needed someone to be there in New York city to do things. So like the way things lined up was just perfect. And I just really followed it all the way to here. And the way that I feel about my writing and the way that it makes me feel and how it distracts me from the world and maybe I'm still suffering from tons of imposter syndrome and maybe I still get caught up in a comparison game with everybody else. But I have found the one thing that just makes me feel good. And I, I don't want to lose that. And also like, it's something that proven to this point people can't take away from me. So I don't know. It's just a lot of rambling. Cause I've never really talked about this and <laughs> like, I hope some of that makes sense, but it's just been a really long like journey to get to even to this point, And I have a modicum of success. I, I don't consider myself even tremendously successful, but it's, you know, I, I was able to find myself throughout this entire journey, and maybe I should have done that a long time ago in my life. But the fact of the matter is, the horrors what kind of helped me find self confidence at 26 years old because I had been robbed of it for so long in my life, and honestly, like there were some years in my life that I was just drinking way too goddamn much and. My writing was a way to not do that anymore. I could actually focus my energy somewhere else because when I didn't have my writing, I was just stuck at home, living in my same suburb, seeing the same people that treated me like shit. And I felt like that was the rest of my life. I felt like I was stuck there forever and I felt like I had nothing else to look forward to. And, you know, cut to me now where, being a journalist has taken me last year alone before, you know, 2019 before all the bullshit like Corona hit, I could travel. And I mean, 2019 alone, I traveled to like five different festivals, like eight different cities. Like just, I, I just did have done so many things that I never thought I was actually going to be allowed to do and be able to do. And to say that I did it by writing about horror and kind of carving my own path. Yeah. I'm pretty happy about that.
0: All right, I got two more questions for you. Nah, shit. All right. <laughs> no, sorry, I'm off the hook yet. Um, so everybody that knows you, you have sort of a reputation of being the guy that writes about the stuff that nobody else writes, right? And you kind of hinted on it when you were talking about we got this covered, but I kind of want to tell us about that. How how like how that happened for you, right? Because I'm sure part of it was some of there, you know, the movies that nobody else was writing about were the ones that you could write about, right? So like you take the assignments other people wouldn't want, but after a certain point. that approach had to have become sort of self-aware and it became kind of a badge of honor for you as well, because I know, I know now you don't have to, you could write about mainstream horror. You could write about genre stuff that isn't horror. You could write about other cinema if you wanted to, but you keep going back to the the bargain bin again and again and again. So what what is it, what initially was it about low budget, no budget horror that drew you to it and what keeps you wanting to specialize and to develop a reputation in that area.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because when I started at, we got this covered, I was just doing the mainstream stuff. So I think in a way I was actually reviewing things that were much more in the public knowledge for a lot of, we got this covered. Uh, I was able to basically be the lead critic there and what I did with that is I did all the things I had to do. I'll watch your 17 pirates of the Caribbean movies and whatever many reboots and sequels of all the BS that we have covered for years and years. Like I took all the big stuff that I had to do and my trade-off was, listen, I'm also going to write about independent horror on your website because I feel like a lot of people are doing it, but they're not getting noticed and that sucks. So I have a platform that, is Rotten Tomatoes approved? And I I mean, this is going to tie into the podcast later, but I had a platform where I could be writing these independent horror movie reviews that were only getting covered by a certain quote unquote level of website, which we all know is bullshit. Like that doesn't mean anything, but I could do that and get eyes on movies that filmmakers are emailing me going like, Oh my God, thank you for covering this on. We got this covered. And again, I know saying that is weird because we all know the perception of that website now, but the fact of the matter is, If you go look that Alexa rank up, even now for We Got This Covered, it's bigger than a lot of the sites that you would expect to be ranked way higher. I mean, I still get press releases to this day that is like, hey, what can we do to get this on that website? And I'm like, I mean, you're not for me. Just contact somebody else. But it's the fact that I, I knew how many people were covering this stuff and I felt so bad that nobody else... On these other websites were so like I made it my mission to write about horror everywhere I could that was public enough, and I made it my mission to continue to do that because I I I think I owe it to these films in a way. I, I mean I I stress the fact that like there's so many of these horror films that for years the VODs and those titles that didn't go to theaters had a stigma because it's like well they're not good enough to be in a theater but that's bullshit. Like some movies just couldn't go the theater route. I mean, it costs money to do that. It costs money that these movies didn't even have, you know, a big budget film has a marketing budget that is exponentially larger than some of these indie films alone. So I thought, I, I kind of thought it was unfair that these films were not getting covered on the right outlets. And I had the ability to do so on an outlet that had so many eyes on it. And for a while, when I would write some of these reviews on we got this covered, like they would go, they would go huge because they would get shared around like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's being covered on this website. Thank you so much. This is what it needs to be. I'm not saying that to fricking like brush my shoulders off or anything, but that's how it went. I would write some of my horror top tens or horror top twenties. And you know, the, we got this covered logo was right on some page web pages and like movie web pages. Cause it's like, my God, like this, they're watching it. on we got this covered. So I just wanted to be that guy. I want it to be that guy that is seeing everything so I can write you a top 10 list and I can tell you the best things in horror because, well, I've seen everything. I haven't just seen the 20 titles that are released in theaters every year. Like, no, I saw all a hundred and guess what? Now my top 10 is going to be so much different than the person who puts in half the effort. It's just the way I've kind of lived my life since then. And you know horror has given so much to me that I want to give right back to it and that's that's my way of doing it my way of giving back to horror is to make sure it's being represented the way I think it should be you know I, even when i started with slash film um i feel like horror wasn't being covered as extensively on it so i became for a little bit like it was like a joke like i was the horror guy on slash film like oh jenna is another piece of course he's writing about horror there but it's the same idea like yeah i want to be writing about horror on slash film i want to be writing about horror on nerdist i want to get my mentality of covering horror to be more normalized by these bigger outlets because it's, it's what it deserves. But you know, we still read the variety takes and we read the, uh, you know, the marquee outlets with these terrible horror takes. And I'm trying to just change that one, one way, one way or the other, but a little bit at a time.
0: All right. Then very, very last question for you. You ready?
1: I hopefully.
0: What? Was the moment where you realized that you had developed your own niche, your own clout in the industry? What was like the first time that you can remember being like, oh, I'm actually a film critic. I'm not somebody who writes about film, but I am a film critic.
1: Thinking hard on this one because. I almost want to say I still don't believe I am. I feel like I'm just someone who writes about film and that's that's fine for me for now.
0: And that's uh, fine. I feel that way, too. But there there had to have been a moment where you realized, like, oh, if I write stuff, people are going to read it.
1: Oddly enough, it was Don Mancini uh, has just been so gracious to me because I, I've been tweeting about Chucky for so long. We became friendly a, a little bit like I'm not saying we're best friends by any means, but
0: Matt's Don Mancini, best friends. You heard it here first.
1: <laughs> the scoop on. Certified, forgotten. No. So there was just one offhanded time where he reached out just to say, like, it wasn't even about one of his movies. He, like, quoted one of my tweets or, sorry, he quoted one of my reviews and DM'd me about it just to say something really nice or, like, a joke about it. And it wasn't like something that was open in a tweet. Like, he literally went into my review, read it, and copy and pasted and put it into a DM and was like, hey, I really like this line or something like that. And you know, we were able to joke and talk about that. And at that moment it was kind of, okay, I feel a little better about what I'm doing because I have all these, I'm I'm fighting demons every single day about how much my writing doesn't matter and why I'm even doing this. And I know it's the writer's plight and I know it's something that we all deal with because I mean, me and Monogle, you, you, you've talked, we've talked about this ad nauseum when the cameras aren't rolling right? or sorry, the microphone's not recording, but it's something I'm going to fight until the very end. Like, until I stop doing this or I drop dead doing this, like, it's going to be a thought in my head that I'm just not good enough. And why am I doing this stuff? But then something like that Mancini interaction happens, or someone is nice. I remember, uh, I think his name was Sean Abbey. But like, I was just at South by. I was like going to the bathroom, and someone stops me as I'm coming out and is like, Hey man, like I've been reading your stuff for like years. Like I'm so happy when you're here covering South by, especially like I'm a local Texas guy. So like, it's just so cool that I get to run into you. And like, I just want to say like, a, and I'm just like, well, fuck, <laughs> like, you know, you have one of those moments and they don't happen for me that often. And when they do happen, it just, you know, it really, it really kind of rejuvenates everything. And, you know, even this year alone, I was able to write about the farewell and write about it in like context with, um, my grandmother's death and how I kind of had a very like deep kind of connection to the farewell that I didn't realize until I was home for Christmas. And it was the first Christmas like without her. And I was able to turn that into an article that I'm in love with. And honestly, it didn't get great traction when I posted it because that's how things go. I think I kind of have pigeonholed myself a little bit to be uh, the guy who just kind of drinks a lot and tweets about movies and will write about them. And I think I kind of screwed myself a little bit there uh, because I don't think people give me the credit as a writer that maybe they would if they actually read my stuff, but say Levy and Lulu Wang eventually tweets it out two days later after she reads it and quote tweets, or she like finds my tweet quote tweets me and puts a really, you know, personal message with her tweet saying how much she appreciates the fact that, you know, someone would take the time to write this and the fact that someone had that connection to her film, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm you know it it's not a thing where my piece was ignored like it was a thing that the creator was so deeply moved by something that i was able to put out there and the fact that i don't care about everyone else who didn't read it at that moment i kind of wrote that piece for Lulu Wang to say thank you so like for her to have that recognition it just made it it made everything a little better so i think Moments like that are the ones that kind of fuel me for the next few months of (laughs) just sitting around going like, well, I wonder if anyone's going to read this.
0: All right. That was, I promise that was it. That was my last question. I don't have any more questions for you about your upbringing as a horror person. We're going to, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about Donato and we're going to talk about specifically about the experience of being part of Certified Forgotten, both the podcast and the website. So stick around. You're going to hear more from us in the break, and then you're going to hear us come back. You know, we say this every single week in this bumper section, but we really couldn't do what we do without the support of our patrons. They are not only the people that are helping us promote and support financially these writers that we love to have on the site, but... They're validating. They're the folks that are like, hey, not only do we like what you're doing, but we like what you're doing enough to financially support you. And in the year of our Lord 2020, I cannot express how much just that simple thing, that simple concept really keeps us going. So we wanna we want to recognize them by giving them a little bit of a platform here to talk about whatever they wanna talk about, which is where Donato comes in and says, here's what I'm gonna read.
1: Here's what I'm gonna read. Hey! Is that, is that exactly what I, okay, that's what that's I do? Perfect. Cool. Cool, yeah, so today, Our Patreoners have brought us uh, two very different messages, one very pointed, one very comical. So I'm gonna start with our newest donor, that's Mr. Luke Peasley. And Luke is already one of our most generous, not only because of how he came in, but he has also very graciously asked us to gift his seat at game night to whoever wants to month by month. Uh, Luke is not gonna be taking it, so he is donating his seat And we will be reaching out to random people every month to take Luke's place when he cannot. So get ready if you're listening to this and you're one of our Patreons. You could be invited to game night because Luke is just that nice person. In any case, let's make Luke a little less nice of a person by reading his message out loud. And I quote, Excited to have found and been binging the podcast. Mm -hmm. After listening to the Munger Road episode, can I offer a critique on behalf of the Upper Midwest? Monagle? Mm -hmm. please stop pronouncing the S in Illinois. Otherwise, awesome stuff. Thanks.
0: If I stop pronouncing the S in Illinois,
1: then the communists win.
0: Then the Illinois album by Sufjan Stevens does not make any sense. So um, I'm sorry to have lost you as a patron, but it, it, in the in the battle between an entire state and Sufjan Stevens, I gotta side with my boy Suf.
1: I don't know how to react to that, so I'm just gonna move on.
0: Feel the noise, Illinois. That doesn't rot ri- Whatever, it's fine. <laughs>
1: Our second Patreon message is coming from the beloved Steph. Steph, thank you for this message this week. I'm now going to read exactly what she has asked me to. (coughs) Clearing my throat, serious voice, and I quote, four seasons total landscaping.
0: Oh, my God. Is that my favorite bumper we've had to date? That's it. That's all it is. I mean, yeah, like, I don't even know... It was one of those things where, as it was happening, you just you you couldn't even wrap your head around who it was that fucked up, and and the stuff that's come out since about the speaker that was there and his let's say checkered history in the community. It's just like, God, that is the gift that came on giving. Like it has actually been a really awesome last couple of days in terms of Schadenfreude for all of us, but that moment that moment uh feels good man can't always say it feels good but feels good
1: if you liked the four seasons total landscaping snafu in real life then can i suggest going on twitter and finding the video of the furry community creating the four seasons total landscaping venue in virtual reality and then hanging out with all their furry avatars they are having a good goddamn time it is one of the most wholesome videos i think i've seen this year
0: uh, apologies to faithful listener, Rudy Giuliani. I know you're a fan of the show. I'm sorry. We, uh, we, were throwing you under the bus here a little bit, but what can we do? What can we do? Four seasons landscaping, bro. <laughs> what, what are we supposed to do there? All right. And on that note, let's get back to the Donato show. Hey, we're back. So we now have the biography uh, the licensed biography, the authorized biography of Matthew Francis Donato. I don't know what your middle name is. Let's let's talk about this project and let's talk about the podcast that we've run here. Because, you know, you and I, we met at festivals. We talked for a long time about like our love of horror and we developed kind of a, a, not a confrontational relationship, but it was very clear right out of the gate that you and I did not agree on the specifics of movies but we did agree directionally a lot on the film, like the horror genre as a whole. So talk about kind of like the, the idea to start the podcast and what, because a lot of, for listeners that might not be aware of this, you know, Donato and I have kind of a pretty nice behind the scenes breakdown of responsibilities and roles. And, you know, I tend to deal a little bit more with the website maintenance and Donato is a bit more of the MC. He wrangles guests, he brings people in. So like you had kind of like a murder's row, right out of the gate, right off the top of your head that you wanted to bring in. Um, let's talk about the podcast. What was what was your goal for it when we first started? So
1: my goal when this first started, I think it ties into my own ideals about covering the horror genre and giving everything it's due because I I forget what was the first tweet or what specifically caused it, but I very much remember an exchange between me and you and I think it might have been talking about those early days of the New York City Horror Film Festival. I think it was a tweet where I offhandedly mentioned, man, like motivational growth. No one watched this movie. What the hell? And like, I reposted my review or something. Or no, I think it was found even. I think it, it was- It must
0: have been found. It must have been I think it was found.
1: found because found finally got a release or something or someone was talking about found. And I just happened to like upload my review or something again late. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, man, I was there too. Like, it's crazy that, you know, these movies don't get talked about. You know, there should be someone like going back and championing films that were underrepresented and under, you know, distributed, whatever you want to call it at the time. And I kind of replied to your tweet and I was like, yeah, like why don't we just do that as a podcast? And like, we both responded in the, oh shit, oh shit moment. And I think like a, a few weeks later we had the idea for certified forgotten and my intention through this entire journey with what we're doing on, I think the podcast and website are not that different with the way I envision them. Mm -hmm. And the podcast started with, all right, let's be more than just a review show. Uh, How many other review podcasts are out there where, Hey, me and my buddy are going to get drunk and talk about this movie. And there is a place for them. Do not get me wrong. There's a place for those kind of podcasts, but I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to make it personal. I want it to be just as much about the people on our episodes as it is the movies that are on them. And I really want these conversations to be something that sticks. I don't want them to just be offhanded anecdotes and all this ramble. And I want to marry the idea that horror can be entertaining and also very thoughtful. And so can the people who talk about them and write about them. So, that was always my thing with the podcast. And if we could kind of dredge up some films that we knew we loved along the way, it was just going to be like the cherry on top. So I think when we started the podcast, our idea was let's take all these movies that we know are underseen. And maybe they're movies that none of us between me and you, Matt, and then our guest have even seen yet. So we're kind of going into it blind and it's like, we can discover new titles and that could be fun. And I think we found out very quickly, it's not always that fun because our first few episodes were not selected by our guests and we had to cover such films as High Moon that were just not good. And that didn't make for as fun an episode as I wanted because it did become more of a review podcast. It became more of exactly what I didn't want it to be. And once we started bringing in guests who had something they were so passionate about, and they could bring it to us and we could watch it like the conversation was already written and scripted it was like those guests came in with such energy that we didn't have to find a way to make things interesting we didn't have to find a way to ignite the fire under a guest's feet because it's already there like it's they already have a burning passion for something and they're like yo I can't wait to share this with you and the viewers and the listeners like however this is getting out there I just can't wait to share it and I really hope they like it as much as I do so that was kind of like a light switch for me. The minute that we got somebody else that excited about a movie and we hadn't even started talking into him yet, it was just everything.
0: Yeah. And I, I know that we've, I know that we talk about like those early episodes and the fact that we didn't, you know, we didn't let the guests pick their own movies, um, which is why we started bringing people back a second time to have the opportunity to correct that mistake. But I, you know, our initial fear, I think, was that if we gave them this very strict criteria—this five movies or five reviews or less thing on Rotten Tomatoes—which we arbitrarily picked—and turns out to be pretty integral to the success of the podcast, um, you know, that that would be a daunting task. But I think the last couple of few times we've invited guests on the show, they've come to us with like five titles each. They're like, "Okay, I could do this one, or I could do that one, or I could do that one," and it just, to me, that's been kind of a realization of like oh we we never needed to worry about our guests like there are so many of these movies out there for film critics they're just waiting for the opportunity to talk about it
1: yeah i think alone i think bj or tyler mcintyre they, they both were like all right so here's a list that you could choose from which one do you want me to cover and i'm kind of right. like yeah so like we have the ability to keep this going in a way that i'm actually shocked that we do and not only that it's a good concept. I'm sorry. Like, it's just a concept I'm really happy with. And I, it's something that translates into a website that is able to keep our message going. And I adore that even more because we don't have to stay to these parameters that we've set. You know, we're having more fun with the website. We're able to do things. And not only that, you know, we're able to promote voices on the website that I'm, you know, one week alone, we had, a writer from Puerto Rico and a writer from India, able to tell these personal stories that aren't on any other website I'm really seeing right now, because how much is uh, bubble going to fit into the SEO of most other sites? It won't. And we have that freedom where we've already said out loud, we know this is going to take a while to take off. We know that we're not in this to get the highest clicks on anything. Mm-hmm. And we're just here to let writers explore topics that they've wanted to explore for a really long time. And you know, to post something that personal and that out there, quote unquote, at the moment uh, versus what other people are posting, it, it's it been so much fun for me. You know, I, I, did I have I taken more editorial work on than I should in the sense that I'm now working a day job, watching my own screeners, writing my own reviews, and now editing someone else's content on top of all this?
0: That you're yeah. paying out of pocket for. Right. You.
1: Sorry. Yes. That we're, that we're paying out of pocket for. Yeah. No, I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know why we're doing this. But in the same regard, the most rewarding parts of my last few months have been reading these pieces and hearing in my head, obviously, as I'm reading the pieces, uh, the voices of writers that I have not heard yet. And the fact that we can kind of pay them for their work and maybe give them a start somewhere and give them the confidence to do something it's it's been everything you know i i've I've found rejuvenation in that myself, uh, so that's been such a thing driving forward and to the point where there's actually i haven't told you this, but there's like one or two podcast guests that I'm pushing for hard, and they've never done a podcast and they're kind of nervous about it, so I'm never gonna make them do it, but there are two people I would die to have on our podcast, and they're kind of working up the courage for it so like, that's what I'm here to do. I keep just like slowly pushing them every once in a while, and reminding them, like, listen, I just want to get you there to talk about horror. You don't have to be that personality type that like would do well mm-hmm. on camera, things like that. I just know you're passionate about horror and I think it would make for a great episode. And that's that's exactly what I want from every episode.
0: And I that's just one people- thing that. To- oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say, I just want people who give a shit about horror as much as we do to come on here and share that with everybody.
0: And that's something that that you had put out there pretty early in terms of the website was you know at our loftiest we were hoping to be we are hoping to be the dissolve of horror a site where people can write about niche topics and we really build up enough faith with our audience and with readers that that they'll support that kind of content but you know I think one of the things that that I really admired about working with you on this project is kind of out of the gate we we really like as much as you know, anybody who starts a website is like, it's going to be the next big thing, you know, maybe it will be, maybe it won't, who knows. There is no next big thing in web design unless you are, already have a big thing in your belt, right? Like the easiest way to become a millionaire is to be a millionaire. But um, the the thing that I liked about this is we both were on the same page about the fact that Certified Forgotten is not going to be the answer for any type of horror criticism. It is just going to be another venue. And if, we, if there are eventually enough venues for people to write, Then people can start to focus exclusively on horror. If there are enough paying outlets for horror criticism, then that is going to elevate the genre because people are going to realize that they don't have to put, you know, kibosh that horror pitch that they have in mind and and write about the next Marvel movie instead, that there is, it is sustainable, it is livable for them to decide to focus on the genre that they love. And that was always something that you were super passionate about right out of the gate. And it wasn't one of those things, you know, where we were like, oh, we need to, you know, we, we've got to have, we've got to do this or we got to do that or we have to reach this point. It was about, we are going to, we're going to make sure that we can pay for voices as long as we can um, until we can't anymore. And until then, you know, these people that are trying to make a go of it, they'll have one more place they can pitch.
1: Yeah. And I think especially too, the idea of our Patreon, uh, I see it as way more than just a way to get get money for the website. Because as we've already stated out loud, we're paying out of our pocket uh, for the time being, obviously, but our idea is eventually the Patreon funds will cover what we're paying our writers. And then after that, everything else that goes into the Patreon, it's all going right back at the website, whether that means we can afford however many more articles a month or whatever that means. So I also see the Patreon as a community. And one of the things I'm really passionate about and what I want to kind of drive more than I am doing right now. Cause we've only been doing this on the website for a few months and it's been fact finding. It's been trying to navigate pitches and see what works best and, you know, kind of shape what we're doing. But the Patreon, I think is something moving forward that I want to drive even more because I want to build that community. I want to build a place where you're not only reading our writing, you're not only listening to our podcast, but you're kind of becoming one with us because if you're giving us money for something that we're doing and you know, you're seeing the fruits of that labor. I also want to thank you in as many ways that I can. So I'm just as much about building these relationships with people that I am, you know, putting putting the work out. I I want to do the work to actually make people feel appreciated. And I think that's an extension of the horror community in a sense. And I just want to make sure everyone has a home. And if that home is Certified Forgotten, where you can hang out in our Slack channel, or you could do all these things that may seem so little, and they may seem like they're just one-off kind of, all right, they made a Slack group. Whatever. No, like I want, I want you to be comfortable, and you know, if this is something that you're having fun with, and something that like I can help somebody out by bringing them into a little world, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. I like the community aspect things. I always want to be. I'm the extrovert, you know. <laughs> like this, that's what I want. I want that so bad.
0: Well, we're we're rounding. Third, we're headed towards home on the Matanata episode of Certified Forgotten, which I love, by the way. I'm very happy we did this. And I actually learned some things about you I didn't know, too. So exciting for me. But um, I want to talk, I want to kind of finish by talking about some highlights thus far. Because, you know, as we were thinking about this episode, as we were talking about it, one of the things that came up is is there's been a few episodes over the past, um, what is it, 18 months or so, that you think have really kind of epitomized what what this show can be, um, what the idea of certified forgotten can be when it works at its best, and this isn't, and this isn't to say that there are, are, you know, to highlight a guest or not highlight a guest. Our guests are our children. We love them all equally. We have some favorites, but we never tell them. Um, but there are definitely episodes, Donato, that I know that you've talked about that were like these. There were episodes that just stood out to you and like it worked. We it like the film was right, the guest was right, everything was. It really. Elevated the concept that we have here. So, talk to me about the the episodes of Certified Forgotten that that um, that you're the most proud of.
1: So, I'm going to start off the bat and just say the one episode where I feel like everything changed, and that one episode that I referenced before, where we finally had a guest come with a movie they brought to us, and we realized, oh shit, this is the way things have to go from now on. Like this is just the way to do it. Is our episode on the last will and testament of Rosalind Lee with Mr. Brad McCarg.
0: It's, a, and, it's terrible that that was that episode because Brad's just a garbage human being. So. I was going to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> it sucks so much that we have to give him credit for that one.
1: I I love my Brad. Brad has been a very dedicated friend to me for, I don't even know how it started, but we met at Fantastic Fest years ago. And he's just, he's been super supportive. Like, he'll still just tell me randomly. He's like, "Yo, you're just a really good writer. I just want to make sure you know that. And I'm just like, oh, I love you. But I love as, as we
0: were recording this, I think Brad texted us both twice to see if we wanted to play Warzone. So that, Brad, yes,
1: that too. He won't leave us alone.
0: <laughs> we can't play Warzone. We're recording a podcast. Sorry, Brad.
1: But I mean, that was the funny thing a little bit, because if you know Brad's persona online, it's very much a certain way. Brad is my favorite curmudgeon friend. That's the best way I can put it. But he brought on The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee, which is a movie that I, he was so passionate about something that I didn't even know he could be that passionate about. And the way he was talking about the film and the conversation we had, it turned from just reviewing a movie, quote unquote, to having this conversation about a sub genre. Essentially, we started talking about films like Rosalind Lee and we started getting into the fact of like, why is a movie that we all love so dearly sitting at like one review on Rotten Tomatoes and everything, so like it started clicking at that point being like no this is how we have to talk about these films this is how we're gonna set Certified Forgotten Apart a little bit so not only do I love the conversation we had I love the film itself I, I, I don't play favorites but I am gonna say Brad brought us my favorite movie so far that we've covered on the podcast so I do Ooh. give him credit there but the podcast hit its didn't hit its peak. It just found its groove in that moment. And I really feel like we've, we've been trending upwards the entire time. You know, like we just keep trending in the right direction. That's not to say comparatively trending upwards, but I just feel better and better about everything we do. And I just feel so good with it. And you know, I'm looking up and down the list and I want to call out Ted Gagan's episode on zombie ass Toil of the dead, because (sighs) listen, I know it's going to sound insane, but we bring Ted on to talk about this movie and yeah, it's about basically fart monster zombies and there's a lot of poop and there's a lot of what would be considered lowbrow things. But the conversation we were able to have about not only Japanese horror, not only exploitation film, but it was like elevated to a level that just didn't seem to fit the film itself but we were also breaking down and dissecting this movie in a way that I I don't know if we could do it any better if we ever replicated that. So that's what I feel most proud about. As we keep looking at these episodes, every single one is different. Every single episode we tackle the themes in that film dictate how we start talking about horror as a subgenre and how we start like dissecting the nitty gritty in ways that, it almost makes like an anthology for these episodes. It, it's You're not going to get the same thing every time. You know, we went from three episodes picking out of my butt, are the Dead Mary episode with Xena, Cast oh, a Deadly God. Spell with Jerry Smith, and then webcast with Mary Beth. And those happened in a row. And in Xena's episode, we're talking about Evil Dead ripoffs and existentialist 30-year-old horror films. Then we jump to Cast a Deadly Spell and we're talking about H.P. Lovecraft meets like Joe Dante in, and it couldn't be any different. And then Mary Beth brings in a webcast and we're talking about cryptic horror and we're talking about found footage and like those conversations are so different. And up and down the list, every single one of them, the conversations like don't replicate. It's, it's been made me so happy and the way that we're able to get into the minutia and like talk about horror across so many levels and yet it's still about one film it's it's been I have been so impressed with the stuff that we've been doing. I just want to say that out loud because I didn't know I could dig deep and find this kind of intelligence, <laughs> like you know what I mean Everything's there, and you just don't believe in yourself sometimes, but you listen back on episodes, and I'm like, did I black out and say this i I don't even remember this,
0: yeah, I mean I you know again, this is the reason why we have our guest spring films because the they bleed the conversation we react, and before we know it, there's there we're. I've never had a better conversation. I've never had more intelligent thoughts about a movie than I do when I'm talking to other people. And I have the opportunity to bounce off their better thoughts than mine. It's just, it's so much, it's so much easier to be smart when you're surrounded by smart people.
1: That's what I've been doing my entire life. And I want to say that part of the reason why I keep getting better and better at what I do is because of that exact reason. And I pity those who are so self-centered that they think everything revolves around them and they are the talent when Man, I, I am just happy to be in the same podcasting room virtually as some of these people.
0: That is correct. Well, Donato, I think we got ourselves an episode.
1: I don't I don't even know how this happened. I, I don't know how. We have a whole episode dedicated to me, and we're just going to skip over you and never tell anyone who you are.
0: That I, A, I'm fine with that, and B, I'm surprised your voice held out, honestly
1: you don't even start with that. Like you don't want to get me going. Cause I could probably do this for another like two hours. I love hearing myself talk. I don't know if you've noticed that on the podcast.
0: Yeah, it's okay. I had uh, I had the Patriots game on my phone. Sorry. I was, I was fine. Oh okay,
1: good. So lying. you could just zone out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah.
0: There's yeah. like Donato childhood fear, anxiety, emotional. And I'm like, duh, duh, duh. Ooh, Cam Newton.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty generic story coming up. Come on, you know.
0: No, it's a good story. It's a good like I said, I learned some stuff about you that I didn't know that I'm gonna file away. So
1: Well, we jokes aside, we will get to your episode next then and we will uh we'll have a nice little monocle episode for the next drop of Certified Forgotten because I, I do think it's important to know the people that you're listening to every week. Uh, you know, as much as we can be just voices on a microphone. How much better is it when you actually understand uh, the thought process and kind of the upbringing behind that person?
0: Yeah, and we, I mean, we were never going to do this until we had already built something that was sort of somewhat successful. So it's nice to be at a point now where we're like, okay, let's turn the spotlight back on ourselves a little bit, and it doesn't feel self-serving.
1: Although, you know, I don't care about it. It's a little self-serving. It's a little (laughs) self-serving. We're just patting ourselves in the back half the time.
0: (laughs) It's a a little self-serving. All right, Donato. Well, um, thank you very much. I suppose now is the time where I have to ask you how people follow you on social media if they want to. Hey, hey, hey.
1: You can follow me at DonatoBomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. Or you can follow along with Certified Forgotten to see what I'm saying and see what we're posting.
0: As for myself, you can follow me on social media at Splice, L A B S P L I C E. Please visit www.certifiedforgotten.com. Uh, we've got some really exciting pieces that are that are already up we've got some really exciting pieces that are coming up in the next week you're going to be glad you did give it a click give it a read we appreciate you um and god if there isn't ever an episode for you to take us out in our custom fashion it's got to be this one
1: that's loves demon way